Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast in the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. This week, I wanted to go through the anatomy of how a deal falls apart. If you go back and listen to our March 7th episode, we talked about how Time, Inc. had four options. It could either sell itself, sell certain magazine titles, take a private investment, or just stand pat and do nothing. Well, you can scratch sell itself from the list, at least for the time being. After months of negotiation, Time, Inc. failed to reach a deal with Meredith, the other magazine publishing corp that was most interested in buying it. Uh, After months of discussion, this deal came apart for financing reasons, but underscoring those financing issues are the instability and downright dreadfulness of the publishing industry, at least the legacy publishing industry. While Meredith buying time made sense from a synergy perspective or a cost savings perspective, since the companies both own a bunch of magazines and thus do much of the same thing, banks got spooked about time's upcoming earnings in the magazine business in general and decided not to fund the deal. And Meredith, in the end, didn't want to pay the $20 per share time demanded. So is there any hope for the publishing industry, or are these companies doomed to either dying a slow death or making a very painful transition to digital media? Joining us this week is Greg Mason. He's the CEO of Perch, a digital publishing and marketing platform. His company owns a bunch of product review and e-commerce sites and sells advertising against them. And the company also runs a technology framework that allows publishers and marketers to and I'm going to quote from, from your media fact sheet here, Greg, quote, effectively reach their audience by optimizing yield through diverse revenue streams and services that are not dependent on traditional ad revenue. So, Greg, first, welcome to the show. Thank you. And then second, I get a little scared when I see that type of language. So maybe before we get into the time merit discussion, just help our listeners understand exactly what Perch does a little better. Yeah, well, we're, we're a publisher. We're a digital pub, pure play digital publisher, but we're very focused on creating market place dynamics. And so one of the ways we what, do what, that. What does that mean? That means, uh, well, one of the ways we do it is we do product reviews, right? And so um, in producing high-value product reviews that address the fundamental need of consumers to decide what to buy in a particular you know, product category, we're in about 1,200 different categories, once we attract a consumer with purchase intent, we can then fluidly connect them with a marketer in some shape or form. And so we create marketing solutions that are highly performant right? Meaning that there's a very strong conversion to sale or conversion to some form of a performance marketing metric that is highly appealing to a marketer. And how do you do that? We largely do that through integration, native integrations and those kinds of things uh, in the actual user experience. But it's really about adjacency. It's contextual adjacency of marketing messaging um, to um consumer who's in the market to buy something. And these are display ads or video ads? It's a combination of things. Native ads, standard IAB format ads, um, you name it. Affiliate links, lead generation. It's a variety of different uh, approaches that we use. So it's a a digital media, sort of almost sort of an iteration of a standard new media company. So when you you take a look at uh, the Time Meredith deal, for instance, what was your initial take on why this thing fell apart? Well, I, the financiers just couldn't make the math work. I think they probably looked uh, at the EBITDA trajectory. They looked at the, what was happening in the print side of the business, and they perhaps couldn't see enough cost-saving synergy to rationalize the EBITDA picture that is largely predicated on the decline in in print. I think what's more, they probably couldn't see a plausible growth story coming out of the combined entity as well. It gets me wondering, uh, 
if that's the case, no plausible growth story there. Is it even possible for legacy media companies to to do something like this? I mean, what it's going to be hard in my mind if you're going to take two legacy media companies that are both in a struggling business and combine them. If this one doesn't go through, how will any go through? What is there a magic sauce that wasn't available with this deal that could be available in other deals like this? I I don't personally believe that any uh, combination of companies works if it's solely predicated on cost synergy. Um, you know, my business we've acquired eight businesses over the last few years, and we have a couple of boxes that we have to check. Number one is the acquisition uh, on mission. Number two, how do we provide tangible leverage to the acquired company? Number three. How does the acquired company provide tangible leverage to Perch? And if you can't check those boxes, um, then you have no business thinking about you know a combination of businesses, or they, or it just won't work. The math just will fall apart. It just it just won't work. So time has been attempting to, and and what's now that this deal is not going to happen, time has come out and said we plan on doubling down on our transition into a digital media company. Is that possible? Can a magazine company become a new media company? Is there any template for that successful transition yet? Well, I think I think one great example for a company that's done it really well is, uh, and this is an overseas example, but Axel Springer has very successful made the transition from print to digital. Um, they acquired a variety of businesses, and I would say smart acquisitions as well, um, more marketplace-oriented kinds of digital businesses and that kind of thing that were less sort of dependent upon assumptions about what was going to happen with the CPM advertising uh, business. Another business that I think, you know, is doing a, doing a pretty good job, but they're, they're taking a much broader diversification strategy, arguably becoming less of a media company was at Hearst in some ways, right? They've acquired a lot of B2B businesses that you, you don't necessarily think of as media per se, but nevertheless, they've done a good job in the realm of diversification. Yeah, certainly we're seeing even some of the legacy digital companies go more in that direction with, say, like AOL, which has not necessarily stuck to its initial mission, sort of gone in a different direction than Hearst, but it started to get into advertising technology. And basically, they're trying to pivot the business. And of course, that was somewhat successful in that they, at least they were able to find a buyer. Uh, I mean, uh, it's defined success, I suppose. But uh, when Verizon bought them, it, it, it at least signaled that they were of some use to a larger company. Is that what we should expect from the legacy magazine companies? In other words, they're going to have to pivot or they're doomed to die? Well, back to your back to your original question, I think the the biggest challenge they face is what to do with these with these print assets. And I think the the, the very slim chance that they can in fact modernize requires, I believe, a very aggressive posture on print. Print obviously does not have a very good future, even in categories that the last few years folks have tried to argue, for instance, women's service categories or home and shelter kinds of categories. There's been a there's been a feeling that, oh, magazines have a very rich future from that perspective. Well, I would point you to House, the the very successful, you know, home and shelter sort of app that's become the rage as an example of why print magazines don't even need to exist in some of these highly visual categories. And so 
the, the their success factor is largely predicated on how quickly and how aggressively and how much courage they have to make some very tough decisions with respect to what they do with those legacy print assets. By the way, I suppose we should note that there, it is possible that Meredith Time comes back. In fact, I know one city analyst has already put out a note posturing that they feel like Meredith will end up buying time, but just for a lower price. So the price clearly uh, is still sort of the major sticking point when it comes to this things. If you can buy an asset cheap enough, maybe even for cost energy reasons, it might be okay. But I think your point, Greg, and that's the one that I want to focus on is if you're not doing, if you, if you are doing a deal just for cost savings, um, are you just kicking the can down the road? In other words, are there certain publishing deals? Maybe I'll ask the question like this. Are there certain publishing deals that make sense? When you look at the landscape of publishing, do you feel like, okay, if X company and Y company out there, legacy publishers, did in fact consolidate, this would be compelling to the marketplace? I have a hard time seeing it. I think that, um, you know, back to time and, and Meredith, I, I don't know how much more synergy they can derive through their print operations if that is any part of the calculation, the calculus in this particular, in this particular deal. Um, you know, I really, I really think that those combinations, again, have to, have to come from leverage points. I, you know, mirror companies coming together is a challenge, you know, in many respects. And although Time Inc. doesn't have the television assets that Meredith does, they're essentially mere assets right. in so many ways. J- just for listeners that aren't familiar, Meredith also owns the series of broadcast TV assets. And in fact, that was one of the reasons the deal fell apart was that when Citigroup went to finance the deal, uh, Citi basically said, look, we don't want you to spin off these TV assets because they're better assets than the publishing assets. So if you keep them, we'll finance the deal because we have, in essence, a safety net of uh, sort of a much stronger business wrapped up within Meredith. Meredith was unwilling to say, yes, for sure, we will not spin off these assets. And that was one of the reasons the financing didn't come together. Yeah, and I, I think the other, on the growth side of the equation too, with respect to what likely concerned the the financing that impacted the financing side of the equation was that there's probably a lot of overlap in terms of uh, advertising customer. And so um, you can never assume in the combination of mere businesses that you're going to be able to keep the same amount of revenue from the same advertisers across the whole portfolio. Um, and I think that combined with the fact that the dynamics of the advertising market are so being transform transformationally altered um, as a result of digital um, that that's also a major concern that probably undermined the growth story. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the digital advertising market. So right now, certainly when I speak to let's say bankers in the industry uh, that are thinking about all right M and A in this world. They see digital media as a bit of a question mark because it's so dominated by Google and Facebook. Now, Verizon has a strategy here where they feel like if they put Yahoo together with AOL and maybe some other uh, more mature businesses that have big eyeballs but still are seriously dwarfed by those two, they can cobble up together that could be a big third player. But you run a business in this industry. are you sort of scared by the fact that there's these two behemoths that seem to be taking up the bulk of the money, or is there a really good 
growth story for smaller digital media companies if done in the right way? I think for smaller media companies, for, first of all, I think I think the one thing we've seen, there's a lot of dynamics taking place here, but one thing that's absolutely clear to me is that although, yes, there are a lot of new dollars flowing into the digital ecosystem from television, from print, from radio, from other forms of media, um, we are seeing a dramatic transformation with respect to how marketing dollars are evaluated. Brand dollars, as it's described in the digital medium, are not the same dollars as were spent in television. And what I mean by that is they're getting evaluated with more specific, deeper performance metrics. That's a very important point. So even all these new video dollars that are flowing into the ad, the digital ad ecosystem, it's not getting sort of, there's no, there's no leap of faith that these ads are just working. There's performance metrics that are associated with these things. And so if you have a, if you're a publisher that has a general audience and you're expecting to support your business model with generally targeted demographic advertising, you're going to have a very hard time standing out. And one of the primary reasons for that is because marketers have never had more choice to reach eyeballs. So scale right. doesn't... It's virtually unlimited. It just doesn't matter anymore. And, and marketers now have hundreds of thousands of choices on how they go reach eyeballs. So consequently, a brand, um, back to the question on the small publisher... You have to be more specialized, I believe, and you have to you have to be able to deliver a value proposition for a marketer that they can't get anywhere else. In the case of Perch, because we create these marketplace dynamics, we reach first-party purchase intent. That's what separates us. Consequently, we can create marketing programs that are highly performant, right? And consequently, we have always-on relationships with market with marketing partners. They have no reason not to be with us because there's a clear ROI. And I think publishers need to move in that direction. Now, if you look at Time, Inc., I think one of the paths that they have out of this, if they can get over the, the, the print challenge, is the fact that they have many special interest brands in their portfolios. Um, what they don't have in association with those special interest brands are marketplace dynamics that they've created. I would argue that in every one of their special interest categories, they have marketplace opportunities where they can naturally bridge from that subject matter interest in a topic to providing or facilitating the purchase of products or services that are relevant to that subject. I think that's one of the biggest opportunities that the likes of a Meredith or a Time Inc. or some of the traditional publishers can do. The 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 opportunity, you know, can they really get out of their own way though with respect to the print challenge? I think the print challenge takes so much oxygen out of the room um, that they're defending print so much of their time, their collective time, that they're not spending enough time thinking about how they evolve their business models. So if the key to having a successful uh, digital marketing company for sort of a, a newer player is to specialize, does that mean that there are only two options for new guys? You either sort of need to, by definition, stay small or sell yourself to a legacy media company that can use you to boost their current assets? Well, I think the other path is that you can be – there are perennially large categories 
that um, if they can really sort of bulk up their assets in those categories and double down on those verticals, it's not to suggest they have to, you know, double down on, uh, you know, a bicycling magazine. There's something that's naturally very vertical. But look at Time Inc. They own they own fortune, and they own money, for example. So business and finance is perennially a big category, right? And so bulking together those brands, those assets, those audiences, but looking to seek um, marketplace extensions and business extensions more aggressively around those businesses to diversify around CPM-based media is the only path forward, as far as I can see. The internet is sort of developed on its own with a very light touch at this stage from regulators. And what has happened over the last 20 years or so is that we've seen two enormous players in digital advertising, Facebook and Google, and then everyone else sort of at the bottom. Is that a healthy marketplace? Should should regulators step in and say, this is bordering on a monopoly at this point in this marketplace? I think it's more of an issue with Google, um, certainly, given how extensive Google's tentacles are, their position from a search perspective with publishers, their control of um, the primary ad-serving vehicle, um, their control of the largest ad exchange, their control of AdSense. There's a lot of conflicts um, within that the pool of assets, their strength is is it, it it's very analogous to me of Microsoft in some respects in the old days. I, I see that less so in the case of Facebook. Facebook, you know, seems like the all dominant player today, but you know, it there was a point in time when Yahoo seemed like the all dominant player, and um, things change, things evolve, and consumer tastes change and evolve. The one thing I would say about Facebook that's so interesting is the fact that they also, I think, have been highly successful, their ad, ad business has been, is because they, they've produced one of the first ads since you know, Google AdWords that is highly performant in, in its own right. Whether your objective is purely brand and awareness generation or whether your objective is uh, performance, right? And so I think that's one of the primary reasons they have been so successful is it's a very prominent ad. You can't miss it. Ironically, it's delivered on the smartphone and a smaller footprint than than a desktop sort of experience. But um, it's, it's, it's a very prominent ad format to visually to a user. And consequently, um, and it's got significant number of performance hooks. I mean, when I when I listen to, whenever I hear Facebook executives talk about their biggest challenge, and I hear this from Snap, I hear this from the other social players, is they're always talking about performance. How do we deliver more performance um, to the marketer? So let's talk about Snap briefly. Uh, about six weeks ago, we did sort of a bare bull episode on Snap when it IPO'd. What, do you see them as the next Facebook? What do you feel like their chances of success are? I think it's uh, it's totally dependent upon the value proposition they can deliver within the context of that format. Um, I think one of the biggest ruses in media is the challenge of reaching millennials. I think it's never been easier for a marketer to reach uh, millennials. So in this case, their success is totally predicated on their ability to develop um, highly performant and effective um, advertising and marketing formats for marketers. And if they can do that in a somewhat analogous way to what Facebook's been able to do, they're very, they'll be very successful. If they, if they can't, they won't. 
So what is the future for Perch? In other words, do you hope to make this into as big of a company as you can? Or is the end game to maybe sell yourself to one of these either legacy media companies or, or digital media companies that may need you? Yeah, we've we've had a lot of interest on the part of uh, traditional publishers, especially those looking to diversify their revenue streams. And we've built a bunch of proprietary technology that's oriented towards yield optimization and improving the monetization of every of every session or every visitor that we receive. But, you know, we're not in any hurry to do anything. We have plenty of capital. We're profitable. We operate at scale. We're a nine-figure-plus business. We, we really are excited about the future of publishing and our ability to take somewhat traditional um, digital publishing techniques of building digital brands and attracting audiences, but coupling that with a marketplace that results in what we think is the future of digital publishing business models. And we as a company have been a lot more focused in some respects on defining that business model of the future, maybe even every bit, if not more so than we have building brands per se. Whereas most publishers, even digital publishers, I think they're, in some respects, myopic about brand development at the expense of business model development and don't fully appreciate what's happening in the ad market. And um, so we're excited from that perspective. You mentioned you've already done a handful of acquisitions. Are you looking at sort of what the next acquisition may be and what what makes sense for you guys? Yeah, we're we're looking at brands, um, many brands, and there are a lot of of subscale publishing businesses that don't have the same kinds of publishing. They have good audiences and good brand cachet, but they haven't developed the marketplace dynamics that we've been able to create. And so we're looking at a whole variety of brands, some in verticals that we currently live in, in some cases in verticals we're not in. And the idea being, back to my point about what we think about, is um, generally the brands we look at need to be on mission. We sort of feel like there are a lot of examples where we can provide a lot of leverage in driving the marketplace dynamics and the monetization layer on top of brands that haven't been as focused upon developing those capabilities. And so we're excited about that. We've acquired a number of technology companies. So we're we're probably the most advanced publisher in programmatic advertising in the entire digital ecosystem. That came about through investments and to a certain degree through acquisitions. Um, we acquired a membership business, and this this kind of seemed crazy for a publisher. We bought a white label, we bought a cashback business, basically, if you're familiar with Ebates. And the whole idea there was um, to build a membership layer on top of our brand portfolio. But this is a another form of diversification. It's another mechanism to drive one-to-one engagement with the with the users of our sites um, and increasingly to change the mindset from users uh, or for a traditional publisher from subscriber to member right and i think that's another massive opportunity just to, i'm not sure i fully understand what is the difference between subscriber and member well i think it's all it's all uh it's almost emotional in some respects i think if you go you talk to people that work at hearst or time inc or meredith their whole mindset is 
that subscriber and how do I get nine bucks out of that subscriber for the next year? And I think there's an opportunity to shift that mindset to a member approach whereby which there's other services that you could offer them in addition to them getting a print magazine um, or for paying for a digital subscription in such a way that you could drive more loyalty over time. Sort, so of, it's, sort of the Amazon Prime Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're if you're a special interest publisher, that's a ripe opportunity for you to do. A member of a club. That's what it's exactly prestige. Interesting. Yes. Uh, Greg Mason, CEO of Perch, uh, with an interesting look at uh, the 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 lack of consolidation among legacy players, and then perhaps the future of digital media. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed that. Just a reminder: you can catch all of our episodes on the Bloomberg Terminal or Bloomberg.com or on Apple Podcasts, or any app you use to listen to podcasts and shows like this. Also remember to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you have a chance, it helps more people find this show and others on Bloomberg. Uh, Also follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. And feel free to email me with any future topic ideas, asherman6 at Bloomberg.com. Sarah Patterson is our producer. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. See you next week. 